You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he's back from the dead and ready to party, is Mr. <laughs> Jeff McLarjew. I am indeed back from the dead. Uh, I uh, had another visit to the afterlife, Bill. It was no fun. Uh, all right, so before we get into the story, let's. Yep. Uh, let, we got some explaining to do. We do. So this is the uh, going to be the week beginning... I believe June the 19th. We're going to be taking a short hiatus. Uh, we normally have a, a buffer of a couple of months, and some recent events have caused us to exhaust that buffer. So we're going to be doing kind of like a best of Twibbly for the next couple of weeks. You'll still have episodes to listen to, but it's going to be some clips from uh, some older shows, uh, including um, our original co-host, uh, Jezebel Grace. She has graced us with some older clips that we had with her very nice and uh so yeah if you hear a female voice guys that's that's who it is it's uh jezebel grace uh but jeff fell down go boom uh <laughs> so jeff uh let us know what happened what's going on so why are we taking this hiatus we're, we're taking this hiatus because uh back on may 22nd i was lifting weights at the gym and i went into full-on cardiac arrest the defibrillator which has been installed in me since 2015 and the last time I went into cardiac arrest at the gym, uh, discharged four times, two of which did not restart my heart, and I was dead for about two minutes with zero heartbeat. At least that's what the defibrillator has told people when they read it using this like computer doodad thing that they, they use. As such, I spent a solid week in the hospital here being told everything from, eh, we're going to adjust your medication and send you home, to we're going to med flight you to Boston and put you on a transplant list. So it was a, a roller coaster of terror, and uh, I did not enjoy it. So uh, I, From the, uh, the spectator stand over here down in Massachusetts, you know, being, you know, text messaging back and forth with your girlfriend, uh, I did not enjoy it either. I was uh, very concerned, and when I see you next, I'm going to punch you in the mouth. Just let you know. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I won't even block that's that's how much I, I earned this one. But yeah, this was a partially self-inflicted and partially my heart just isn't very good. You know, you put those two things together. It's like chocolate and peanut butter, man. Uh, that's how it goes. A listener named Greg, who I had, uh, I'm, I'm friends with Greg, and I, I was telling him what's going on. And he told me to tell you, stay the f- out of the gym jeff <laughs> it seems like a good advice um my cardiologists have told me that i can go back but i can't do heavy lifting so what i do is transition to more flexibility related exercises like yoga and some cardio yep. stuff and that's kind of where my exercises will go but my dreams of being a world-class 50 some odd year old bodybuilder are dashed now 
not that I was a bodybuilder before. My body is pretty round. My body's like built like a geodesic dome. But <laughs> I really was enjoying lifting weights for a while, and now I realize I, I can't really do that anymore. And I also wanted to take a minute to thank everybody who sent me good wishes uh, on video while I was in the hospital. That really helped on a couple of the literally darkest days I have ever had in my entire life. So I went back and watched those like three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times, and uh, it, uh, it helped. Yeah, yeah, that was very nice. I had sent out a uh, an APB to our our Twibbly listeners on my Facebook page, and uh, a bunch of you sent in videos. And not only did Jeff watch them a bunch of times, I watched them a bunch of times. It was very, very nice of everybody. Thank you so much. We both thank you. Uh, all right, so without uh, further ado, here is the best of Twibley. We'll, uh, we'll see you August 7th, guys, with new episodes. Yep, August 7th. June 19th, 1978, Garfield. The comic strip created by Jim Davis first appears as a comic strip in the newspaper. King Features Syndicate. I think it was syndicated all over the country, even in its first run. When I was but a wee lad, Garfield was the funniest comic in the paper. It was groundbreakingly funny. They yeah. must have sold 900 million books of Garfield stuff through the, like Elastic Book Fairs because yep. I bought them all. I had them all. A, yeah, there was a girl in my class. Her name was Colleen something French was her last name. Colleen something. Anyway, she was the first person that I ever knew to like have like a Garfield book. You know, she brought it to school and I was like, whoa, what's this? What's this crazy business you got there, Colleen? She's like, oh, it's Garfield. It's super funny. And, you know, I read a couple of them like, oh, my God. And I remember bugging my mom to get me a Garfield book. It was so freaking popular. It was everywhere. It was almost like it talked directly to that the younger age group that was reading it when it was coming out in the papers and, and being compiled into books because it became a competitor for Peanuts. And yeah. I remember friends of mine saying, like, they made him change Odie's ear color so no one mistook him for Snoopy. You know, and I was like, <laughs> that sucks. Screw you, Charles Schultz, you know? Yeah. So here's what happened to me, right? Garfield had a couple of TV specials. One of them aired, I'm going to, I don't know the exact date, but it's somewhere in November of 1983. And why do I remember this so well? Is because my grandmother died in November of 1983. The wake was, we'll say, on a Friday, and the Garfield thing aired on the Thursday. This was, I was. 13 years old, I had never been on the panel of Awake before, but here I was, right? And I watched the Garfield special the night before, and Garfield's trying to explain to John that Odie's missing, and he's like trying to do it in like interpretive dance and sign language and stuff like that. And he's trying to get his point across, and John just looks at him and goes, hey, you have fleas or something? Garfield grabs him by the face and says, what we have here is a failure to communicate, like Cool Hand Luke. And then, like, lightly slaps him on the face, like, three times, goes, and then cracks John. And that got me laughing so bad and then put me in a position where I'm not supposed to laugh. And I am giggling my stupid little teenage ass off at my grandmother's wake. I literally had to keep leaving the room because I couldn't stop laughing. It may very well be the case that it was a Garfield comic that made me laugh to the point where I peed myself as a, <laughs> as a tween. So huh? uh, they seem so tame and like, yep, that's a comic now. But that's because I'm an adult and I, I, 
the part of my brain that really responded to it has just grown or it's turned off or something now. But it was great. It, it had a couple good cartoons that were shared with another creation of uh, Jim Davis, U.S. Acres. Oh, yeah. And a couple of movies that were better left unwatched. I didn't mind the movies, and that's probably because I have a, a you know a crush on Jennifer Love Hewitt at the time, and Bill Murray did the voice for Garfield, so I mean you kind of can't go too wrong. You know why uh, <laughs> Bill Murray did the voice for Garfield? I there is a story, isn't there? He thought it was a different director. He thought he was working like with the Coen Brothers, but it was different Coen Brothers. So he's like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> he's like, what am I doing recording a cat's thing? What am I doing? And then he he made so much money, he's like, well, I'll do the second one too. I guess it took two days. <laughs> All right, moving on to the 20th. June 20th, 1975, Jaws, based on the book by Peter Benchley, directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Roy Schneider, is released. Oh, my God. I wish you could play this. <laughs> That's the song that they play on the moniker at the beginning of the movie. Such a weirdly specific thing to, like, notice and memorize. Yeah. What do you know how to play on the moniker? You ever see Jaws? <laughs> To me, that's like the coolest thing a person could respond to that with. Like, I don't care if you know any songs. If you just know that random little riff, then that's hilarious. Seriously, my harmonica repertoire is incredibly limited. I can play Outside the Wall by Pink Floyd, In a Gata Davida by I Am Butterfly. <laughs> what? You heard me. Yep. And the, the, the opening sequence for Jaws. And that's kind of it. So funny. Yeah. The rest is all like mangled versions of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and... <laughs> Amazing Grace. So Jaws, have you ever read the book? I was staying at, it was my Auntie Judy's like hus- husband's mother's house. We used to go to her house for the pool. She had Jaws on her porch. And I remember everybody's in the pool and I found that book and I just started reading it when I was like nine or 10. Yeah. And uh, I read like almost the entire thing and then I never got to finish it and I've never finished it, but I read it when I was like nine or 10 and I loved it. Oh, wow. I did the audio book of Jaws a couple of years ago. A couple of things is uh, in the book, I think it's Brody. Yeah. But like Hooper, Richard Dreyfus, f***s his wife. Oh, what? Yeah. That son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's kind of messed up. Yeah, kind of. In the, sh- in the movie, he just eats his food. Yeah. <laughs> You ever see like a like an anatomy of a shark? Their brain, for how how big they are, their brain is like the size of a walnut. Here's a trivia question that everybody knows the answer to, but maybe somebody listening doesn't know. What's the shark's name? I, I what? What is it? Oh, you don't know? Um, obviously the shark isn't named in the movie, but while they were filming, they named the shark Bruce. Bruce. <laughs> but do you know why his name is Bruce? No. That was Spielberg's lawyer's name. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> he makes a lawyer joke in Jurassic Park, too, actually. I know there's this one thing that you can do. The scene with the T-Rex and he's got the velociraptor in his mouth. Yeah. And he's, like, shaking his head back and forth. If you go frame by frame, there's one frame where the, the velociraptor just disappears. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yep. It's like, whoopsie. Oh, that's funny. Yep. <laughs> no one will notice. Yeah, right. Yep. Moving on to June the 21st, 1982, uh, your friend and mine, John Hinckley Jr., is found not guilty by reason of insanity. I'm sure the Jodie Foster fan club sent a bunch of support letters into the court. So, yeah, your friend and mine here, uh, John Hinckley, he is the young man who decided to be the best way to get a girl is to shoot the president. So, uh, he had shot Ronald Reagan and James Brady in an attempt to impress Jodie Foster. So, spoiler alert for those of you who are not familiar with this, it didn't work. No, uh, Jodie Foster's not really into dudes, uh, so that was working against him. 
Also, Hinckley had developed an obsession with Foster after seeing her in Taxi Driver, at which time she was like 14. John, John, we need to talk. Well, he's been out since 2016. They declared him, I don't know if they still like declare someone sane, but he was released from custody from his hold in 2016 and is now in the process of touring as a band? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah, sort of. I know he was looking to be in a band. Would you answer that Craigslist? I wouldn't. (laughs) No, no. It's a shame they couldn't put him together with a bunch of other like guys who are sort of have similar past, like you know, Gacy on bass and uh, Eileen Warnos is the backup singer. <laughs> what a lovely singing voice that bitch she has, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, he got released from custody as he is no longer considered a threat to himself or others, quote unquote. He lives with his mom in Williamsburg. Now he may be out, but it's dealt with conditions. Okay, he cannot. He cannot drink alcohol. He cannot possess any firearms or ammunition, even like memorabilia stuff. Cannot contact Reagan's family, Brady's family, Jodie Foster, Jodie Foster's family, or her agent. Oh. Yep. Cannot watch any violent movies, television, or music. Jeez. Or listen, listen to violent music. So, yep. So, no ICP for you there, Johnny. <laughs> Man, I, I'm sure that when he read that list of conditions, he's like, why don't, you, why don't, don't even let me out then? Yeah, exactly. Oh, gets, Might as well just stay here. It gets worse. No speaking to the press. No visiting present or past homes of any of the people involved. No visiting the graves of any of the people involved. Jeez. Yep. It's, pretty, uh, it's like home confinement at that point. And uh, cannot delete his browser's history on his uh, computer. Well, yeah, that's... That's probably important. I, I wonder what what sort of music he's he's made. I'll have to go. I have to YouTube and see if there's like him singing or playing an instrument or something because I had no idea he was musical. I mean, what else are you gonna do? You know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I wonder what his first record album will be called. Probably called like Jay Foster, or the <laughs> single All for Jody. Hey guys, got a new song. It's called Jody Foster. I call this one Uber Driver, but Uber is in quotes hey guys i got another new song oh let me guess it's called jody foster no no this one's called tatum o'neill why <laughs> let's, speaking of round things yeah, let's let's pop on over to the 22nd our good friend hanson gregory in the year 1847 introduced the world to the ring-shaped donut well, there you go, and that's that was the first thirty-three and a third uh, RPM donut, <laughs> and that replaced the seventy-eight RPM donut, which which could only hold one sprinkle. Uh, featuring the hit single "Crawlers Can Be Fun." <laughs> so, if he patented the first ring donut, what the hell shape were the donuts before? I, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess they were kind of like the you know the jelly donuts or the uh, or the crawlers, you know? Right. Well, I I mean, like I understand donut, the name donut, depending on where you see it and how it's spelled. Yeah. It could mean dough, not like a not is zero. That's right. a dough shaped zero, dough not. But I don't know if that's where the word comes from, or if somebody imposed that name on it later. It's like, oh, it looks like a donut, <laughs> ah, or whatever. Or he was looking around and he thought, you know, these straight donuts are weird and phallic. And I can't put a bunch of them on my thumb to carry them around. And and if I try and stuff one in my mouth, people look at me funny. <laughs> so we need a round donut. It's easy to carry, too, and I can put two of them on my finger. Right. All right, pick a donut. What's your favorite? Ah, oof. My favorite donut's not ring-shaped. That's, that's fine. <laughs> my, fa- yeah, my favorite donut is a chocolate crawler. Because they used to sell for 25 cents up at the Dartmouth Fruitland, 
And they were fucking awesome. I don't even know where he got them. I think he killed people, <laughs> and and they were a gift from some devil. Oh no! But those yeah, were my chocolate favorite. crawlers are fine. I like um, I like Boston cream donuts. Cream that's with yeah, cream with a K because it's not technically cream. Cream. C R E M E. We used to have a Mister Donuts down the street from me, mm-hmm. and they used to have German chocolate donuts. Oh, those are good. Yeah, Bavarian those are super chocolate. good. But yeah, but I I don't know. I can't get them like that anymore. Nah. Uh, it, oh. And then Dunkin' Donuts started marketing those munchkins, which they said with the donut holes. Yeah. And I was heartbroken like a kid finding out there was no tooth fairy when I found out that that's not actually the donut holes. Yeah, that kind of bummed me out, too. I thought it was a fun myth that they should have continued to propagate forever. Yeah. So You broke my heart, Dunkin' Donuts. Those things also, just just put this out there for those of you who may have never had a Dunkin' Munchkin before, they go stale approximately seven seconds after you open the box. Then that's another like thing I noticed, like a cup of coffee, not a lidded cup of coffee, just a cup of coffee, coffee in a cup. Yeah. There is this like two and a half minute span of where it is too freaking hot to drink, and then now it's too cold and it's disgusting. There's this like weird like two and a half. You got you got two and a half minutes, kid, to drink that coffee. Otherwise, it's gonna be either burn your face off or it's disgusting. Or, it, yeah, it gets, becomes coagulant or the ingredients yeah. for what will eventually become tiramisu if you turn the cup over. <laughs> yeah. uh, June the 23rd, in the year of our Lord, 1955, Glenn Danzig. Glenn Danzig. Yep. Glenn Danzig, uh, former frontman of the Misfits, who was, a, am going to guess, a better frontman than whenever I saw Graves in New Bedford. It was awful. But anyway, Glenn Danzig, um, who uh, after the Misfits, he formed another band called Sam Hain or Samhain. That band was fantastic. Unfortunately, you can't really find their music anymore. Like, it's not on Spotify. The CDs are all discontinued and stuff like that. I mean, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. But it's really, yeah, Sam Hain. If you haven't heard the Sam Hain stuff, it's really good. And then, Does it sound sound like the, like the more like the Misfits or more like his solo records after Sam Hain? It's, it's more like the Misfits. Okay, so a little less of the. It, you can you can tell it's the in between, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The the thing with with like Danzig's first album, you have to remember that it was produced by Rick Rubin. Yes, I I know, and, and my favorite of all record producers, Rick Rubin. Yeah, Rick Rubin, the Uwe Ball of record yeah, production. Yeah, Rick Rubin. Uh, I mean, you can get, you gotta give the guy credit. He can take people and change their sound and make them into million sellers. The problem is, is it alienates their core audience most of the time. Like, uh, And it makes for some records that just, be, I think that the records just become oddities. Nobody listens to the whole Johnny Cash record that he produced. They listen to Hurt. Right. Nobody listens to the whole Neil Diamond record. Even my mother, who would kill you to get within five feet of Neil Diamond. She doesn't listen to the whole record. She listens to the one song that came out as, a, as the first release from that record. Yeah, well, I mean, the other side of that argument is, Glenn Danzig's first album, you know, the Danzig album is, you know, it's very blues based, which is different from the punk stuff that he had been doing. Look, yep. look at Blood Sugar Sex Magic, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I mean, it was a big seller for them, but it also yeah, it know. also changed their sound a lot. And MC 900 for Jesus's last album, One Step Ahead of the Spider, which was way different from his other albums. Right. That was a Rick Rubin thing. Right. Yep. So, yeah. I stand by my description of him as the Uwe Ball of... Yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, but getting back to Glenn Danzig, yep. Uh, had a famous feud with the other members of the Misfits forever. 
And then finally kind of like Sir Common, they did a couple of reunion shows. It was basically just a machine to print money at that point. But unfortunately, they waited too long and then COVID happened. So right. maybe they can go back out and do some shows once the, the, the lockdowns are completely lifted. But who knows? I mean, he's not young anymore. No, I know he was doing, he did a couple of like guest spots on Portlandia as, yep. as a guy selling like goth t-shirts to the two goth characters that they do. Yep. On the beach. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Uh, if you ever want to see something funny, just go to YouTube and type in Glenn Danzig gets knocked out. Um, <laughs> Glenn Danzig is a muscular man, but he's also about five foot five. And in the video, he is like arguing with a man that's about six foot two and shoves him. And the guy just clocks Danzig. And Danzig spins like a freaking top and just it eats the ground. He goes down hard. So, on June the 24th in the year 1374... I remember it like it happened only yesterday, yes. Yep. What is considered St. John the Baptist Day, which is where this event gets its name from. Uh, yeah. A sudden outbreak of St. John's dance causes the people in the streets of Aachen, Germany to experience hallucinations and begin to jump and twitch uncontrollably until they collapse from exhaustion. Uh, this is also known as dancing mania. Which must be amazing to see. Uh, huh. Yeah, yeah. it's just this weird kind of... I, I, it's the first rave, right? <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. The, the first rave. I, I'm trying to get the words to say it. Like, like, everybody just all of a sudden started dancing. Well, not dancing, more like doing the Humpty Dance in the middle of the street, like for no particular reason, but like everybody all at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like a... Uh, it's like a mass hysteria. And uh, it, it's happened a few other times, too. Uh, unfortunately, none recently, or maybe it has, but everybody, like you said, just thought it was a rave. Right. Yeah, our earliest outbreaks are the 7th century. Uh, appeared a, a few times across Europe. Boy, Europe must have been, that must have been tough. Definitely, definitely <laughs> hard. The, the origin of St. John's Dance, what causes that mass hysteria, whether it's like some something in the air or whatever, has never really been pinpointed before. Or oh, 120 beats per minute. <laughs> I know I've read some stuff that thought maybe it was like you can get a disease called ergotism from from eating rye flour that's moldy, uh, and that causes hallucinations and stuff. Right. But everybody would have to eat the moldy rye bread to make that to make that happen. So it's weird. It's like the incidents of this happening are always interesting to run across. I don't know if you've ever seen the Warner Herzog version of Nosferatu, but there's a scene in there where the main character Mina is wandering through Bremen. And everybody is in the middle of town da manically dancing because they have St. John's Dance as a consequence of Nosferatu's arrival in the city. So, yeah, that, and what you were saying before about the ergotism, the ergot poisoning is also known as St. Anthony's Fire. <laughs> what a time to be alive. I huh? get the St. John Boogaloo mixed in with St. Anthony's Fire. <laughs> Jeez. All the saints. Collect them all. Throw in some uh, St. Some Elmo's Fire and then everybody gets struck by lightning. <laughs> Or, or John Paris that comes and starts singing about it. <laughs> and then th th certainly there's going to be 150 beats per minute to poor John Parr. Oh, uh, naughty, naughty. All right. Uh, moving on. June the 25th, 1630. Just a few years ago, uh, yeah. the fork is introduced to American dining by Governor Winthrop. Oh, well, so yeah prior to that people just shoveled stuff into their mouth with their hands all right yeah. 
I, I like they must have been either eating with their hands or like with a big wooden spoon. Like, oh, it's really hard to eat these beans, Governor Winthrop. I want. Did he? He didn't invent it. He must have brought it back from the civilized places over in Europe, right? He must have come back and been like, "Not only do I bring money, but I also bring this." And he holds up a fork and he's like, "It's." I think what happened is he came back from Europe with a big plate of spaghetti. And he says, I bring you spaghetti. And they were like, the f*** are we supposed to do with this? Uh (laughs) Boy, I'm glad you asked that question. (laughs) I guess it has to come from someplace. You know, that's how fads happen. Right. Uh, There was that commercial there maybe a couple of months ago with Larry David. And they were showing like all the inventions that people didn't get on board with. And one of them was the fork. And he, like, holds up his hands. He's like, I got ten forks right here! <laughs> I, I'm sure that, you know, the conversation around that, that dinner was something like, well, I'm, it must have been one, it must have been messy, because you got to learn how to, you know, not eat like a Neanderthal the yep. first time you have one of those. Like, I remember my dad saying that, like, you hold that fork like you're going to get, con- like you're condemned. Yeah, my father used to say, it's a fork, it's not a pencil. Yeah. Right. It's a, yeah. Exactly. What? Yeah. What did I raise you in a zoo? You know. Um. But I'm sure they were all sitting around. You know, because it's the governor, so it's not like he's living in a shack. Right. And they've got dinner served, and there's you know probably ham and turkey and stuff, and they've got knives that are very sharp and wooden spoons that are not, and there's this pointy thing that they're stabbing themselves in the face with until they learn how not to do that when they put the food in their mouth. And the governor goes, "So, hand to hand." <laughs> What do you have? What, what's on What's on tap for tomorrow after you eat this delicious meal using your new fork? And he says, well, we're going to burn a lot of witches, Governor. That's, that's what we're going to be doing tomorrow. Why? You, you want to come? We're going to be using the wooden spoons as a pyre, seeing as we don't need them anymore. We're be... Right, we're going to use them as kindling. The worst song ever. <laughs> Jeff, the world... The world needs a love song. What do we have? What do we have this week? Oh, uh, yeah. So, uh, follow me, will, will you, back the halcyon years of 1991. This is right about the time that the whole musical landscape in the United States is going to change. The extinction level event is coming, <laughs> the but me- it hasn't arrived yet. The, the, the meteor <laughs> of Nirvana is about to smash into the it dinosaurs. The dinosaurs can see it in the sky, but they don't know where it's going to hit. Dinosaurs of the hair metal bands. Yeah. So what do we got? So uh, at that time, there were pro- approximately f- per capita uh, one hair metal band for every three people mm-hmm. in the United States. One of these hair metal bands was uh, originally a sort of a thrashy or speedy jam band yep. called Mr. Big, put together by the guitarist and the, the bass player, Billy Sheehan, the bass player who just left David Lee Ross band. Right. And they were looking to sort of do that sort of virtuoso guitar thing that yeah. they brought in. The the guitar player, Paul Gilbert, was a virtuoso yep. guitar player. He came over from a band called Razor X. Right. Okay, yes, that's right. And he was also in uh, Impelitary, which is another, just another one of those bands that's just... You know, super fast, super shredding guitar player. Yeah. Yeah. Where that's the dominant part of the music that you know, like the songs. I don't know what the songs are. Nobody cares what the lyrics are, but that's what you're listening for, right? You're listening for that kind of Mm -hmm. super fast, shreddy, virtuoso guitar playing. Two things. Uh, One, I've I've noticed that we haven't mentioned what song we're talking about yet. And two, we'll we'll get there. And two, we're going to play the clip. So what song are we talking about? All right. We're talking about the, the nutless white boy soulless ballad 
called To Be With You, which sounds like a B-side from an Extreme record, and Extreme itself is pretty much an, a, a B-side to an Extreme record. Hold on, let's play the clip. So, yeah, and, and, and here's the conversation to be had right here. This band, Mr. Big, had this virtuoso guitar player, uh, uh, Paul Gilbert, and then uh, Billy Sheen that you know that got pulled in from the David Lee Roth band who played the bass guitar like he was... Like a lead guitar. Like a lead like guitar, a lead. yeah. Yep, he did a lot of that tappy bass, like but right. like Eddie Van Halen-style tappy bass, so it's like all the way up right. and down the neck. and Yep. And then, the, you know, the singer had this kind of like, I, you just said you didn't like his voice. I did. I actually thought he was a good singer. And, and he was a, a charismatic front man, too. The only problem is, is that this song, this this boiling saucepan of vomit is, yeah. that's their legacy. Uh, go ahead. Right. right now. Come on, Jeff. Name me another Mr. Big song. Right. Okay. The only other thing that came to the top of my head was... I remember their first single because I went out and I bought their first album. The song was called "Addicted to That Rush," and I saw them yep. and I saw them open up for Rush uh, on the Presto tour. Yep. But other than that, Mr. Big, you can't name another song by them. I think they did a cover of "Ooh, Baby, It's a Wild World," but like again, right. that's like this nutless, soulless. No wonder Nirvana took you to bitch school. Look at you. Well, I, I think too, and 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 their success was limited because that song was super popular. Mm-hmm. When they toured the states, like that song is a song. Like, who's the audience for that song, Bill? Uh, girls. Girls, <laughs> and they yep. go see Mr. Big. And they're like, oh my god, it's it's Mr. Big, and I can't wait to hear them too to be with you. And they hear that song, and then they're like, what at the hell is the rest of this show? This isn't what I came here for. I came here for like love songs, and it's like, you know, like ninety minutes. Oh my god! <clears throat> Qualify that statement with girls of nineteen eighty six through nineteen ninety two are extinct. They don't exist anymore. Yeah, like no. Yeah, the the girl girls are much different than that little time frame. You know, in twenty twenty one. So you know, don't at me. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, no, I mean, like the thing is, like they were the demographic for this stuff. Like, yes. so, like, go down the line: Bon Jovi, Cinderella, Mr. Big, Striper. You know. But the thing was, is like that's that what it was, and and even though I love them, I blame Kiss because that was the the thing at that time was you had this band of like hard rocker dudes with the and all that trope of of the heavy metal guy, and right. then they write this sensitive. The sensitive ballad, right? Like, and you know, we can, I'm, we can, <laughs> I was gonna say we can thank that. In between, like the the three or four other songs that are you know basically like the sweet surrender and just all these other allegories for you know basically date rape. You know, now they they got this sensitive, I love you kind of song. You know, and like I said, I blame Kiss because they did that with Beth. Yeah, right. Which. Which is not even a Kiss song. Nobody in the band wrote that song. Nobody in the right. band plays on that song. 
there's a, 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 a small writing credit to Peter Chris for that song because he he was in a band that did a version of that song that had the lyric, Beck, I hear you're calling. And it, right. that was it. That was the only similarity. But anyway, getting back to Mr. Big, unfortunately for Paul Gilbert, he spent all those years mastering his guitar and his legacy is going to be this song. This is what he's going to be remembered for. At least in the United States. However, yep. much like Cheap Trick, Mr. Big was ginormous in Japan. Yes. They had a humongous following in Japan and they still have, well, the couple of times that they've reformed a tour, they've reformed a tour to sell out stadiums in Japan because they're still gi- gigantic there. Yeah, so. yeah, that was that was a, another trope or '80s metal music is if you were just minutely popular in America, you could sell out arenas over in Japan. Um, and sometimes they would pay you in a hundred and sixty thousand egg omelet. And other times they would pay you three hundred and fifteen dollars, <laughs> or, or whatever the currency happens to be in Japan. I don't, I don't, I don't yen know. is it yen? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. three hundred and fifteen yen, which that's like that's like it's like sixty cents. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Say good night, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, right. everybody. Bye, guys. Special thanks to James Coster for our theme music. Thank you so much for listening to Twibly. This week was way better last year. You can follow and or message us over on Instagram or on Facebook at T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Make sure you tell your friends if you like our show. And if you don't like our show, tell your friends you did like it. It'll be a great prank you can play on them. Have a good week, guys.